thanks for having me. I'm Jacob Kaplan Moss. I'm one of the uh, lead developers of Django. And uh, I'm going to give you a little sneak preview at, um, on what's going to be in Django 1.2. Um, this is the first time I've really talked about any of this stuff publicly. Um, if you've been following the developer list, this will be familiar. But if you haven't, and I know most people don't, um, a lot of this should seem like a surprise. So I hope that that's, uh, I hope they're good surprises and not bad surprises. Um, and let's, let's jump right in. Um, we've made a lot of changes to the way that the database, that databases work in Django. The, the big one being multiple database support. Um, this is, I mean, this is huge. This is something that's been requested pretty much since day one. So um, Django 1.2 will easily and more or less transparently support connecting to as many databases as you could possibly want to. I'll point out there, this was a Google Summer of Code project. This is um, Alex Gaynor, playing those watching this on the, the live streaming. Uh, give a shout out to him, did most of the, the hard work here. Uh, did a really great job. Um, it's super simple, it's super nice. In your settings, you'll basically, instead of just having a single set of database settings, you now have a dictionary of multiple databases. You give them names, aliases. Django's gonna expect that you have one called default, which is the database that Django will use if you don't tell it to use a different one. But then you can go on and define multiple other databases. Um, another small change that I'm pointing out here is that we've, uh, is that we've changed, you can see we've changed the engine from just something simple like MySQL or SQLite to a full dotted path to, to it. Um, the old version still works, but we've made this change to emphasize the fact that there's nothing really different between the database backends that are built into Django for example, there are there's a a, um, a Microsoft SQL Server backend out there. IBM ships um, a you know, an IBM developed and maintained uh, DB2 backend for Django. Um, there are probably others. There's, I know there's a Firebird backend out there as well. Um, there's a certain level of quality and support that we require to bundle them with Django, and mostly that's about having a community behind it to maintain it. I, I don't know anything about nor do any of the other lead developers. The only reason that Django shipped with an Oracle backend is because a group of people wrote one and then actually promised to support it if we, if we approve it with Django. So there's a couple of developers who have commit access to the Oracle backend and maintain it there. We wanted to, in 1.2, emphasize that the only difference between backends that ship with Django and those that don't are in what repository it lives in. It's not really a, a statement of how well that sort of de-emphasizing the built-in versus non-built-in. That's a sidebar. The important part is that you can define multiple databases here. They can be, as I've shown here, um, heterogeneous. They don't have to be all you know, using the same database driver that you can you know, connect to whatever you can find the back end for. Using it in uh, your code is really simple. You'll just um, query sets now have this using method. And using just takes the name of an alias and will basically rebind that query set to a new database backend. So you can very simply switch back and forth uh, between them. Um, very easy to do. And of course, since that's a string, you can you know, pull it from a session cookie to, make, to do the live journal trick of giving paid users access to faster machines. There's all sorts of nifty stuff you can do there. Um, and similarly, other methods like save and such now take a using parameter 
telling you which data made back into story name and symbol. And this is useful for, for most, for many situations, but there are other types of situations where the, the sprinkling these using calls all over the place isn't feasible. One of the big examples is using other people's um, applications. If I want to download an app that someone else has written, I can't really go into their code and modify it to use a different database definition. I want to store you know, your third-party app in one database and yours in a different one. Another example is something like master-slave replication, where you want to be choosing more or less randomly from the pool of slave servers. So sprinkling all this using stuff all around isn't feasible for some more advanced uses. So in the next, probably in the next couple of days, um, we'll be committing some code to make, to, to introduce this concept of a um, database router. Um, essentially, anytime Django needs to know what connection to use, and you, if you haven't explicitly told it that you're using call, Django will consult a list of routers stored in the database router segment. And these routers have a handful of methods, db for read, db for write, um, we may need to add a few more, depending on how exactly this shakes out. And those will let you, you know, define exactly what, uh, what, what database a particular, um, particular query or model or instance should use. So this example here does, you know, sort of stupid master-slave replication. It randomly chooses a slave and makes sure that all rights go to the master. You practice master-slave replication a lot more complicated than that, but you can use this interface to pretty, pretty efficiently like I said, this isn't in trunk just yet, but it will be in 1.2. We're just shaking out the last couple bugs that the patch people did. So that's multiple database support. That's probably the, the, the really big feature. That's the, you know, if, if I was a better presenter, that would be the one more thing that I save until the end. But to, I'm, I'm a geek. I get excited. I have to share you know, the, the good stuff right up front. So you can all leave now. That's the really interesting thing. The rest of the stuff is just the rest of, you know, it's just the other cool stuff. Raw queries, this is one of my favorites. Um, it's always been possible with, Jan with Django to sort of drop down and just get a raw database cursor and do raw database queries. And, and I, I, I tell people a lot of the time that Django's model layer isn't intended to be a 100% solution. It's 80% you know, at best. SQL is, despite what the, the, the non-relational folks will tell you, a really cool language. I'm a, I'm a relational database big at, at heart. Um, and sometimes you just need to drop down to raw SQL. I mean, you've got it there, why should you not use its power? Unfortunately, there's, there's sort of this gulf between, okay, I've got this nice ORM and I get models back and I play with instances and it, it feels like Python and then, oh wait, I have to jump across this cliff and start using raw SQL and dealing with you know, lists of tuples coming back out of the database. And, you know, there's, there's nothing to do there. So in 1.2, you can now use this raw method Query set. This is very unclean from a, a uh, ORM point of view, right? You're, you're sort of leaking SQL into your nice clean Python. But it's incredibly practical. You can pro provide a raw query and you get back model instances. And as long as you name the fields in the query correctly, they get translated back into the model instance correctly. You, you can provide a dictionary of translations if, if Django gets it wrong. And on top of that, you can do you can do tricks like running, you know, doing more complicated queries and aliasing them as extra fields. And those extra fields essentially get annotated onto the model. So in the example here, person 
has a birth date field, but not an age field. And I'm using Postgres's age function to, on the fly, at the database level, calculate the age and the annotate it as an age attribute onto the, onto the model. Uh, someone who does a lot of data analysis and a lot of, a lot of SQL, um, this is really good. Another um, bit of code get, that got merged, it's been a long time in coming, and also another summer code project was um, a merging of form validation with model validation with this concept of valid views. If you've done much work with um, Django's forms, you know that there's a very convenient way of taking in a blob of data provided by the user clean, and cleaning it up and validating it. But if you want to just take that same blob of data and store it directly into a model, nothing actually validates that that data is there. A lot of people, a common question is, okay, I want to do a data import and my data is kind of dirty. You know, how do I make sure it gets validated before I store it in the models? And until now, the answer has been, well, just use a, a form, even though you know, you're not actually using an, an HTML form. Well, one, two now supports the concept of validators on both forms and models. Validators are just simple callback functions that take a value and raise a validation error if, if you know, something's wrong with it. Um, but behind the scene has been a lot of sort of merging and bringing together of validation. You can now validate models. Models have a new validate method that works very similar to the forms clean method that runs and, and checks to make sure that everything on the field is correct. This doesn't happen by default when you save a model. That's for backwards compatibility. Um, there's a good chance that in the future it will. Um, what this means in, in effect is that you can, there, you can sanely import unknown data into a model without having to do that sort of gross hack of using a form if needed. We've added a, a series of improvements in Django's template language. Um, first, we've drastically reworked um, CSRF, the, the cross-site cross request forgery protection in Django. Uh, the details are a bit too complicated to get into here, but uh, the old version would actually sort of rewrite your page and work by running a regular expression against your against your HTML source. It was gross. Um, this version is a lot cleaner, and it's much more similar to the way CSRF protection is done in other frameworks like um, like Rails and like uh, and, and like um, Turbo Gears and Pylons. And, um, there is some transition work you'll have to do to go from 1.1 to 1.2. So if you're using CSRF protection um, now, then read this to learn how to translate it. And if you're not, then you really should be unless you'd like uh, to get hacked. This one usually, I, I think a lot of people will be happy about this one. Um, the if statement in the template language now lets you do stuff you might expect, like equals and greater than and less than and, uh, and all of that stuff. Um, I still maintain this is the wrong decision, but we, but that's a, that's a shift in sale. Is that an error with the 20 tip with Which one? The middle one? Oh. I, I believe both are supported. Uh, I believe that, that, that doesn't, that's not an error, but I'd have to double check. Another improvement is uh, template loading in Django 1.1 can be relatively expensive. Um, when you ask for a template by name, Django has to go search a bunch of different locations, all of your installed apps, any entry in your in your um, in your template loader setting, maybe other places if you have custom template loaders. There's now a mechanism to 
have template loading. And if you're, if you're doing, if you're rendering templates that have complex inheritance, multiple levels of inheritance, or a lot of includes, this can lead to a really substantial um, performance increase. Um, there are some caveats in terms of the way the custom template tags are written in order to take advantage of, of, uh, of the, the caching mechanism, so you can read about them at, at that link. Uh, but the net result is, if you're, if you're profiling a site and seeing a lot of time spent loading and rendering templates, in, in one, two, that will get much more text. There's a few things new in Django Contrib. The big one is um, a new user messaging framework. Uh, if you've used user messaging in Django before, you've noticed that it's, it's tied to the user. You'll, you'll do something like request.user.addMessage. This works, obviously, then for only logged in users. And that doesn't let you send little flash, flashing messages to users you know, um, who, aren't, who aren't logged in. Um, I use the term flash because that's what Rails calls the same feature as flashing someone. It's relatively simple. There's a new Django Contrib Messages app, and that exports a couple of functions, success, error, debug, info. Ooh, wow, warning. That's not right. Um, and you can access them in the templates, um, as you can see there. So this is how you would, you know, when a user you know, performs some action, send them a message saying, okay, that succeeded or no, um, or what have you. A lot more flexible now than the, than the previous version we had. There's been a handful of testing improvements. Uh, the big one being that the unit test suite now runs roughly 40% faster, um, depending on all sorts of things, but that's the biggest number I could come up with, so that's why it's on the screen. <clears throat> There's also support now for something we're calling natural keys in fixtures. If you've used fixtures to load complex data sets, you'll you notice that when you reference for when you reference relationships, foreign keys or many-to-many -many relationships, you just use the you know the, the integer IDs, the primary keys of the object you're referencing. This starts to fall apart. Well, A, it's hard to read, right? You know, author colon seven in the fixture doesn't tell you anything about who that author is. But B, it doesn't play well with any sort of automatically created data, specifically when you're using generic foreign keys and content types. Um, the whole system will just blow up in your face if you try to move data from you know, database to database. So Django now has a mechanism to reference other models and fixtures by, you know, by other arbitrary fields. So instead of saying person seven, you could say you know, person whose name is Django or what have you. Um, this makes the fixture system a lot less brittle when you're using this with lots of data, and, and thus makes testing these sort of complex data interactions a lot easier. There's also a new fail fast flag on the test command, which just exits after the first test failed. Um, that way you don't have to wait while your whole test suite runs just to find out that one test failed. And there's also a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, this link there is to the, the draft 1.2 release notes. We've been putting everything that we're adding to those notes as we go. They're, they're rough around the edges, but they'll tell you everything that's, in, that's new in Django 1.2 and give you a whole bunch of links to the uh, you know, documentation on each of these features. I, as always, uh, these features are all very well documented. We wouldn't check them in if they weren't. So the primary source for information on any of this stuff is Django's documentation. So 
some of this et cetera stuff. Um, Django 1.2 will require Python 2.4 or greater. Uh, we're starting the very, very slow march towards Python 3, and that involves dropping um, older versions of Python behind as we go. So 1.2 will require Python 2.4, 1.3 will require 2.5, 1.4 will require 2.6, and at some point, everyone will stop everything and move to Python. <laughs> like how vague I'm being about when that's gonna happen. Not, not tomorrow, and, and, and not, probably not next year, but, but, but someday, it'll, it'll happen. Um, Django now supports email backends. Instead of hard coding to sending email via SMTP, you can now plug in your own method of sending email. This was added primarily to support environments like App Engine that don't have SMTP servers, but rather APIs for sending email. There's a new queriesat.exists method, which does the most most efficient way of telling whether a particular query set has any data in it. There was a there was a cute little pattern that you'd see through you could see throughout Django's code to do this, and we sort of encapsulated it in that code. Uh, test runners are now class-based. This is a little bit of esoterica, but if you're writing custom test runners, uh, if you're wanting to integrate Django with other testing frameworks like Nose or or what have you, um, this is now a lot easier to do. Uh, GeoDango's, who here uses GeoDango, by the way? That's a good few. Um, GeoDango is uh, also known as Django.contrib.gis. It's Django's geographic system. Um, it does for geographic data what Django does for relation. A quick way of describing it. Uh, the inspectdb command has gotten a lot better in GeoDango. In, in 1.2, it supports more, um, ge more geographic backends and, and all kinds of stuff like that. You can now have read-only fields in the admin. A lot of people have asked for that. I don't really understand the concept of an administration interface that you can't edit, but a lot of people like that. There's now a big integer field. Um, I, I don't know how, how many people have, have done integration work with the Flickr API. Well, there was a, a, a while maybe, and, and, and now Twitter, I suppose. It was a while, about a year ago, when Flickr's photo IDs overflowed an integer field, and anyone who had been storing your photo IDs in an integer field all of a sudden saw the code for it. I was, I was one of them. Well, that won't happen anymore. This Django now has a you know, proper big end field. There's been a whole bunch of localization improvements. This was another summer code project, uh, mostly around the handling of, of numbers and dates and times and sort of getting those uh, translated and formatted correctly for whatever particular locale you're in. One of those things that makes all the difference a, a localized application that, that, that you know, looks obviously translated and one that looks There are now low-level hooks for doing low-level permissions in, in off backends. Essentially, off backends now get the actual object in question and not just the, the, the you know, table that it's using. Nothing in Django actually uses these hooks yet, but that means it's possible for you to write an, off, an authentication backend that actually does take the particular object in, into question. This means that it would be very easy for someone to write um, a flexible role-level authentication system um, for Django. Um, Janus Lytle's Django Authority project is working on doing exactly that. Um, we made the decision to punt on doing it ourselves. We, we sort of think it's against the philosophy that we're trying to instill in Django, but we wanted to make sure that the hooks were there for other people to 
another kind of neat trick is that many to many fields have always created a um, sort of art, a sort of hidden table, hidden join table between the, the, the other two. You had no real way of getting at this stack table. Django now actually creates behind the scenes a model for you automatically that's just like any other model. So even on automatically created join tables, you can actually still access that as if it were its own model and fool around with it the same way you, you mess with any other model. So when, the big question, right? We'll be shipping the beta uh, pretty soon. January 26th is the target date. Uh, we missed the alpha by about a week, so I have every reason to suspect we'll miss the beta by roughly the same amount of time. I don't think we've gained any time since then, but the, the week of the 26th, we should have the beta out. This won't be production quality, but this will contain every feature that will be in Django 1.2 final. Our beta is our feature for this period. Uh, this is the point where we really need you to download it and start running your production sites on top of it. Not, not in production, obviously, in testing, but we put it out as a beta. It, it's a bit of a sort of, you know, juggling game, because when you call something beta, so many people, and I'm looking at Google here, have been calling finished products beta for so long that people expect that when we call it a beta that it's really finished. In fact, it's going to have all sorts of bugs in it, probably hundreds of them. And we, between, in 1.1, in, in we fixed about 250, 300 bugs between the beta and the final. We'll probably fix more this time. Uh, we left a longer period specifically because we thought this would be a more, um, a, a longer, you know, bug fix period. But we really, we call it a beta because we want to trick you into downloading it and using it because that's the only way we'll find those bugs. So this is the point when, if you haven't been involved in Jago's development, this is the best time to get involved because you can make sure that that one showstopper bug that only shows up on your production machines actually gets fixed before the release gets out. We're aiming to release a release candidate around March 2nd. This is just after PyCon. We'll be sprinting for four days at, at PyCon in Atlanta and putting the sort of finishing touches on 1.2. And we'll try to put a release candidate out around the first week of March. If everything goes well, that means we'll be releasing the final version around March 9th. We give a week between the last release candidate and the final release for any bugs to shake out. If we don't find any, then we put the release out. If we do, we push it back into the So with any luck, by early March we'll all be 1.2 will be out and you can start you know, moving your production sites to use it. I'm really excited about 1.2. I think it's I think it's the best, um, by far the best release we've put out so far. There's I'm amazed by the level of stuff we got into it. Um, a couple of months ago, when we were discussing pushing the timeline to give more time to, to check more features in, I said that I'd rather meet our deadline and have it be, you know, like a solid double than, you know, swing for the fences and have it take too long. I think we've actually managed to almost hit our deadline and get a really awesome release out, and I'm really excited. So, um, I know there were a bunch of questions that people put in over, uh, over the whole Google Moderator thing. You can also send me questions over email and the Twitters, and uh, we will go to Mr. Holden, and then... Uh, uh, I can repeat. Uh, 
Mostly questions about Google Summer of Code, so you go to the most, a lot of the really cool improvements and ones who came out of Tucson. And the PSF is looking at sort of hosting a similar program. And sort of my comments on that and whether that would be useful to us and how we can get people from the Django community sort of more involved in, in GSOC itself. I, I don't know if uh, you know this, but the Google Summer of Code is a project that Google runs every summer that pays students to work on open source. They pay them about Obviously, it worked really well for us last year. We had um, we had six projects, um, three of which got code merged into 1.2, um, and the, the, the other three will probably have code that goes into 1.3. So that's a that's a rocking success by my by my standards. Um, the Google Summer of Code infrastructure itself is written in Django and runs on App Engine. So if anyone wants to help out. Django and Python without having to actually, you know, dig into the messy underbelly of Django or Python, contributing to Google Summer of Code is a great, and I admit their actual, you know, hosting infrastructure is a really great way to give back. And I'd encourage anyone you know, looking for something to, 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 to dig up that they can really help out with to take a look at that. Um, as for whether the PSF should do something like this, the, the, the interesting thing about Summer of Code is this is this is our third, third Fourth year. We've been doing it since the first year, so it's our fourth year doing Summer of Code. And it's our first year that's been this successful. We've had limited success in previous years. Um, authentication backends came out of the Summer of Code project. Um, you can see it's hard for me to dig up exactly which, which projects did. Um, uh, multiple database support was, was attempted before and didn't get through. We've project itself needs to expend, uh, it, it, it sounds like you get free work, right? It sounds like you give students $5,000 and they give you free work. In, in practice, managing one of these students might even be more work than just implementing the feature yourself. But, but, the, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a teach man to fish situation, right? When you're done, you have someone who can actually contribute to the project and, and, uh, and will continue to ask, you know, ask when you stop mentoring. That's, that's the important part. You know, Google has brilliantly outsourced their mentoring, recruitment, and training programs. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, Summer of Code is a is a great project, and I, I love the idea of a more Python-oriented one. I mean, one of the one of the big problems that that's, the Summer of Code folks have is simply too many applications. They can't they can't uh, take all of the ones that they have, and they so far haven't figured out a good metric to figure out 
which ones are going to be the really successful ones and which ones aren't. It may very well be that a more focused effort focusing on Python itself will be, you know, will we'll have more success, we'll know more of the parties involved here in the judgment. But I should get to some some of these Yeah, it's here. probably just the easiest way. Yeah, well, I'll just, I'll just go through, I'll, I'll do a couple of those, but if anyone here has questions, I can take those as well. Python Django technologies that I'm following closely. Um, what, am I, what am I following these days? Well, PinX is a big one that I'm paying a lot of attention to. Um, PinX, it's, it's hard to describe exactly what, what PinX is doing, but it's essentially another layer up from Django. So you have, you know, at the very bottom, you have writing a web site by hand in Python and WSGI. Django comes along and throws a, a web framework on top of that. And then PinX comes and throws a site framework on top of that. It has all sorts of stuff for doing sort of modern social websites, um, you know, messaging and users and groups and all sorts of uh, blogging and sort of all, all, of the, all of the stuff that you would expect from a modern website right now. Um, they seem to be doing something with PinX that we did with Django, you know, four or five years ago, looking at the common needs of web developers and extracting them to a higher level. They're looking at the common needs of Django developers and extracting those to a higher level. And that's, that's interesting and exciting, and I'm, um, I'm watching them very closely. Um, I pay a lot of attention to South, which is a schema evolution framework for Django. Django doesn't ship with one. Um, and and uh, you should be using SAP. That, that's, the, that's the one to use. Um, if Django ever does ship with uh, a schema evolution framework, it'll, it'll, look in, it'll, it'll work a lot like SAP does. Um, it's a good project, and I, I need it for my work, so I pay close attention to it. This thing really interests me. Um, it's a framework for doing REST um, applications, uh, REST uh, APIs in Django. There's some things I really love about it and other things that drive me nuts, so I want to start contributing to it uh, rather than complaining about it. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. Uncommon or somewhat unknown Python libraries I use on a regular basis. You know, I feel like every couple, I've been using Python for almost 10 years now, and I still find stuff in the standard library I didn't know was there. So, uh, if you're bored, start reading through the standard library documentation. You'll find stuff you never knew was there. I, I just, um, a couple of weeks ago, I found that there's a module for translating between color systems that ships in the, in the standard library. I needed to do RGB, HSB translation in the standard library. It was, I, didn't, I don't know how I missed it. Um, the, the standard library is so much deeper than you think. It's really, it's really quite fantastic. Other than that, I don't think I use anything for Shocking. Maybe build out would be the one that most people don't have a lot of familiarity with. Um, build out is a system. It's essentially a system for doing um, deployments and, and virtualization, um, similar to virtual EMV. Um, but it's got some neat, some neat tricks um, in it that I really like. Uh, it hasn't got the world's best documentation, and that's one of the reasons that's keeping people from using it. But I think it's one of the great gems. Anyone here have a? Can I just keep going down here? Uh, yeah, I guess we'll do one in the room. Yeah, uh, I, I think I'd just like to know about your experience with the 
<laughs> oh, I mean, it's I mean, it's great. I, I I wish I had more time to work on Django. I mean, the the, the, the great disappointment of releasing a successful open source project is that you never have time to actually do enough work on it. Um, it is a shame, isn't it, that, that giving money to open source people is is somehow taboo? Because uh, I would love it if people gave me money to work on Django. That would be amazing. Um, but uh, I think the main thing that I always think about is just how, how surprised I am by Django's success. We, when we released Django um, five years ago, it was about five years ago, um, we, you know, there was a small, very small group of us, me, Adrian Holomani, Simon Willis, and Wilson Minor, were developers at a small newspaper in Kansas, um, about as far from sort of the, the technological centers of the world as you could possibly get. And we expected that, we thought that maybe a couple of people from the journal, the sort of the database journalism community, and I think, I think the database journalism community, community might only be a couple people, but anyway, we thought that they might find some, uh, some interest in Django. Um, we thought that maybe a couple of sort of hardcore Python hackers might find their way to Django. I never would have guessed that I'd be in a room about half of which were people who learn Python to program in Django. I mean, that, that's mind-boggling to me and, and, and really humbling and surprising. So that's been, I mean, that's been the best part, definitely, is, is, is just sort of seeing that, seeing other people pick up and, and learn with Django. So questions about sort of the meta framework behind Django, processes and legal stuff, and et cetera. There is a Django Software Foundation, um, founded about a year, year ago, year and a half ago. Um, to date, it's mostly, it's been two years. To date, it's been mostly concerned with um, just sort of managing and, and, and holding the intellectual property behind Django. As Django grew, we realized that having it be owned by um, a newspaper in, in Kansas was a weird place for the intellectual property to live. Our own little um, lately, there's been some discussion on exactly what we should be doing with, with this body now that, we, that it exists, and stuff like what they're talking about, um, you know, helping people find third-party applications and, and commercial providers that are reliable and, and, and successful, uh, those sorts of things. We have a lot of documentation of the process behind Django. If you go to our documentation, there's a how to contribute to Django document, which is really uh, uh, embarrassingly long at this point, because every time we have a process question on the developers list, it ends with us adding a paragraph or two to that document, and so it just keeps on going. Um, but it explains in pretty exhaustive detail exactly how every single step of the development process works. So that, that we're good on. The, the legal stuff and the greater community stuff is a work in progress. I'll go back here. Um, where do I see the future of Django orienting uh, towards the core code base or to pluggable apps? In other words, what will breed adoption the quickest? Um, I, I definitely think the best thing about Django these days is the ecosystem. I think, I think what we did with world level permissions is a pretty perfect example of how I would like Django's, develop, Django's core development to continue in the future. We took a, a feature that a lot of people were, were requesting 
did some analysis on it and noticed that everyone who was asking for it meant something slightly different. And that's sort of a key sign that anything you include in the core is going to have to be so sprawling and so crazy and so flexible that you're going to end up with, you know, manager factories and, and game of four patterns and, you know, dependency injection. And, and this is not Java. We don't want that. So instead, we, we found what... <laughs> So instead we found what we think are the core components of that, um, of that request, the, the very minimum that can go into Django and still let people do what they want to do. In other words, we, we stepped back from the feature set and looked, at, and looked at what the users actually were trying to do and implemented sort of the core of that in Django and then said, here, now it's, you know, now it's up to you. I want to do more of that. Um, frankly, I think that if you look at any open source project, you know, graph its number of lines of code over time, and you get an increasing line that goes up. You know, if you're lucky, it's linear. If you're unlucky, PHP. It's a, you know, it, it's a curve upward. That, that obviously can't sustain itself. The larger the code base is, the harder it is to grok, the, the more work is gonna, that needs to go into maintaining. We're, we're already at the point where there have been changes that we've had to defer because of the ways that they impact other parts. I think the best thing for Django in the long term is gonna to be to slim it down and actually probably kick parts out. Kick things out of the core into uh, third-party applications. Um, if you've been watching the development of Ruby on Rails, a lot of, a lot of that's been happening in the Rails community. And Rails 3 really represents a lot of, a lot of things being taken out of the core and being pushed how to um, you know, plug in applications. If I'm remembering correctly, Rails no longer even ships with built-in database backends. They're all plugins that are installed separately. Now they're maintained by the core team, so they're sort of this weird hybrid. But I think that this idea of um, getting everything out of the core that doesn't absolutely have to be in there is the only way that we're gonna be able to sustain development What would I like to see the Django community do more of and less of? But this one's easy. More docs, less criticism of, of other people. <laughs> well, thank you all for having me, and thanks very much to Huge for, uh, for hosting this. And for